welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21, with Pastor John Kane. Oh, well, good morning, everybody. We are going to be in Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21, right? So, Daniel chapter 1, when last week we did uh, Daniel uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Good morning, by the way. Um, and we began our study through the book of Daniel with the understanding that God is and was, excuse me, was, is, and always will be sovereign over the events of history and human circumstances. Amen. Always. And in the word of God, we see his hand in that history, in the, in the nation Israel, in this particular place, in the life of Daniel and his companions, and in the prophetic past and future of all the world's nations. That's what this wonderful book, this wonderful prophetic book is, which lead up to the triumphant return of Jesus Christ to rule and reign once and for all. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that to happen. And if you're not ready for that to happen, and you know, maybe, maybe we need to talk, because uh, you, uh, you might not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that wouldn't be unusual. That would not be unusual in our day and time, would it? I mean, we live in a world where you don't even know if your neighbor believes in there's only two sexes. Okay, That's the kind of world we live in right now. But in any event... Um, Daniel and his companions were among many of the Israelites from the southern kingdom of Judah who have now been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, the great Babylonian king, who has decided to lay a hold of the cream of the crop. He says, I'm going to get the best from the noble families, those young men, and I'm going to educate them. I'm going to train them. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, brainwash them, and I'm going to convince them and, and uh Turn them into service for Babylon and his kingdom. I'm going to make them one of ours. We're going to use this talent that they have. So we, we understood that from last week. But now this week, we will see how Daniel and his three companions, uh, their Jewish names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, how they react to their new surroundings and circumstances. How do you and I react to our surroundings and circumstances when we can't obviously control all of them. Now, despite having been separated from their families and given, they were given Babylonian names and they were placed in the very court of the Babylonian king to be put under the care and instruction of the king's chief administrator, despite all that, they will now choose to be set aside for God and to be obedient to his word so that God can guide them through the temptations that are being presented to them. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like the walk that we have in this world? And we're called to be set apart. We're called to be in this world, but not of this world. Well, that's what Daniel's doing. So let's look at our passage for this morning. Daniel 8, verses 1, or excuse me, Daniel 1, verses 8 through 21. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. 
For why should you, uh, he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. And so Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables for three years. They're going to have vegetables and water. And for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understood, excuse me, and Daniel also had an understanding of all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Father, thank you, Lord, that you have given us a roadmap for life. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided us with your holy word that we can consult, that we can come, that we can cherish, that we can take in and apply to our lives. Because the more we read of it and the more we see our nature, we see our sinful nature and we see a fallen world around us, the more we see your word, the more we recognize just how valuable it is and how important it is for us who are Christians who call in the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. May it bear much fruit in our lives now and today and in days to come. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Well, first we start out, folks. We see Daniel's resolve. Daniel says he purposed in his heart He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine. To to purpose in his heart is to determine or resolve or to make up your mind beforehand what's going to happen. To determine that, you know what, he, he knew... Uh, apparently for us, you know, the, the immediate application for us is how are we going to deal with temptation in life? And our, what are we, what's our guide to tell us what we will and what we won't do? And what will we have beforehand determined in our mind when temptation comes? And so that's purposing in his heart. They could change his name, but they couldn't change his nature. He would read their books and he would learn their language. He was a very skilled and bright young man. But there's one thing he decided and he purposed in his heart, and that was he would not defile himself 
with the king's food. He says, I'll do all these things, but I will not eat your food. And because of his conscience and convictions, Daniel and his companions decided to take a stand. Now let's, let's kind of settle something right now about defilement and food. Because we're dealing with Old Testament law, and that's what Daniel had received from God and all the Jews had received from God. They did not yet live in the age of grace that we presently live in. But defilement in the Old Testament was a very serious matter for God's people. And remember, God gave them the, the instructions. They started adding to the law later on, but originally God had said these things. Now, defilement comes in many forms. You see it even today, what it means. Physical, you know, uh, it's, you know to wash your hands at the appropriate time. There's, you can be physically defiled with germs and bacteria. There's also sexual defilement, sex outside of marriage or sex at the inappropriate times, forbidden times. That applies just as much today as it did then. And then there's ethical defilement, where your actions can lead to the harm of others or sin towards others. You know, there's blood on your hands for what you lacked or what you did or didn't do. Then for them, for, for the Jews now, they had ceremonial defilement. You know, you've heard the, the, the word unclean. That meant that they were disqualified. If they became unclean, they were disqualified for religious service or worship. They had, you know, touched a dead carcass or they had eaten, you know, come in contact with non-kosher animals, um, uh, lepers, they, they, holy objects, like their, even their altars could become defiled if they were touched by unclean people. And we don't live in that world, but that was the world that Daniel was trained in. He was trained in virtue. And then, of course, we have religious defilement. And that's when the attitude and the relationship to God was in question. And they had the, the Bible. They had, like we have, Leviticus 11, 44 through 47. He says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up and out of the land of Egypt to be your God. He says, You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And this is the law of the animals and birds and every living creature that moves in the waters and every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean and between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. This was what God had given his people you know, prior to the time of grace, prior to Jesus coming. And so this is what they, you know, they were very devout in this belief. Some, some even believe that Daniel and his companions may have taken a Nazarite vow. I, I don't know that for sure. And so Daniel, with this background, with this, this upbringing, he says, therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Notice the word requested. But back up. Notice the word therefore, actually. It's important that we remember. Therefore, since he had purposed in his heart. You know, we, we hear the saying, it's what's inside that counts. And he was prepared ahead of time to live for God. And the question is for you and I. Each and every day we have to make a decision for God. 
And so what do we do to be prepared ahead of time? Is it time in prayer? Is it time in the Word? Is it time, you know, just being, you know, confessing your sins before the Lord just to get things right? What are you doing? What am I doing to prepare ourselves ahead of time to live for God? But notice he requested, he respectfully asked. He demonstrated respect to those in authority. He didn't arrogantly demand his rights. And Daniel now, he was in exile and a prisoner, far away from his family and his home and his religion. For you and I, we live in a very strange time. Let's just call it that. Very strange. Foundationally, our nation highly esteems personal freedom. But as a culture and our government becomes more authoritarian, and it seems like they are in that direction, more authoritarian, we see those freedoms being compromised and even under attack. Yet, you and I need to remember, we need to be mindful of our Christian witness. Our rights are not the number one thing, and that's a, that's a terrible thing to say in a church like in America, isn't it? It's a terrible thing to say. But it's not the number one thing. And we could argue over the fact, well, if I lose my freedom, then we, we lose our ability to meet freely. And I look, we are going to stand against that. All of us are going to stand against that, of course. We will participate in the election process. We will speak out loudly for injustice. We'll go to the abortion places. We will go to the town hall meetings. We will go to the... Uh, education board meetings. That's our participation. But we need to remember and be mindful of our Christian witness. Because you and I can walk and chew gum as well, can't we? And I know it can be difficult. It can be very difficult. But I, sometimes I think we, we put personal freedom as an, as an idol in this country. I'm just going to be honest with you. We place it as an idol. Is it worth defending? Absolutely. Absolutely. But let's be careful where we put it. And so Daniel was requesting not to defile himself. Now what was Daniel's primary concern? Now we, we just read some of the Old Testament laws. He'd be concerned about unclean meat and drink that had been sacrificed to idols. And God also warned them against partaking in, in strong drink. You see, these young men, as I said before, were still under the Old Testament legalistic system given to them by God, and Daniel intended to be loyal and obedient to God's word. He intended to be loyal and obedient to God's word. They were trained from virtue from a very young age, and it was a testimony to their upbringing, parents, it's a testimony to your children's upbringing when they get out in this world and they face temptation. Now, they're going to make their own choices and their sin will be on their heads, not yours. But when your child walks out into this world, that arrow that you've launched or arrows that you've prayed over and that you've raised, they will make you oftentimes very proud that they have walked with obedience to God's word. Not all of them. They'll let you down too. You'll experience that. But really, it's not you, it's God and their relationship. 
It says here, but you know, if you, if you get caught up in that, you're going to miss verse 9, right? Verse 9 is super important. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill. You see, Daniel purposed in his heart to be obedient to God, and look what God did. God did it. Not, not just because Daniel was keeping the rules. God looked at that. And God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs. Very powerful man. In the most powerful kingdom, most likely in the, in the whole history of the world, when you consider how much power was concentrated on the authority of one person, Nebuchadnezzar. And this, again, my friends, highlights God's sovereignty. This highlights God's fact that he is, he says, it reminds us what we're called to do. That is to separate yourself to him and he will do his part. Separate yourself to God. It's called holiness. James 4.8 said this. He said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Do your part. Do what you're called to do, and God will do his part. And that should be part of your Christian witness. That should be your testimony. It doesn't always work out on your time schedule. Never. <laughs> it always works out on God's time schedule. Is it difficult? Yes. But that is your Christian testimony. That's what you can tell others about what Jesus has done in your life and the trials that he's taken you through. And notice in verse 10 that the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, now he was going to plead his case. Daniel had some a, a respectful request. Now you're going to hear the other side of the story. You know, in a sense, it's like the police uh, that are forced to do things they don't want to do, like these crazy government lockdowns in some of these countries. And you hear stories of the police telling the people that they're having to, you know, beat with sticks and tie up and, you know, and, and arrest and, and bring to jail, saying, I just, I can't help it. I have to do my job. I have to feed my family. It's a tough place that governments put people in. It's madness. And so the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed you food and drink. In other words, he was under orders from Nebuchadnezzar himself to bring these men in, and he said, this is going to be their diet, because that's the kind of world they lived in. And he's like, you don't want to eat the king's food. I fear for my life. And, and then he says, I'm responsible to raise you up. I'm responsible to train you. And he says, for why should he, the king, see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? You know, if you're just going to have water and vegetables, I don't think that's going to be very healthy. You know, you're going to be all pale and thin and, you know, whatever. <laughs> you might look sickly before the king, and that would cost me my head. That's what he's saying. The king had the power to do that. And that's why he says, then you, Daniel, would endanger my head before the king. You understand? <laughs> so Aspenaz, the chief of the king's eunuchs, at this point, denied Daniel's request. At this point. Now, before we move on further, let's, let's talk about another thing that I think we need to understand uh, very quickly. The question is, does food and drink still cause you and I to be, quote-unquote, defiled? And the answer is, not in a religious or ceremonial sense. Separation to God, being holy, 
is no longer a matter of a strict diet. I, I, you, you probably say, well, duh, I knew that. You didn't have to tell me that, John. But I told you anyway, because I think we can get a little weird sometimes with our choices, um, thinking that it's a religious thing. Now, Jesus, he corrected the religious leaders for questioning him about some of the disciples eating a meal without performing the ritual hand-washing procedure. They had a very elaborate procedure, you know, that we talked about when we were going through Mark. They, you know, they had to do all kinds of things, and it was crazy. Mark 7, 15, he said, Jesus, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Paul, as well, he dealt directly with this issue of meat sacrificed to idols at the church of Corinth. And he said in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 25 and 27, he says, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. And if, those, if any of those who you do not desire invite you to dinner, excuse me, if any of those who do not believe, in other words, if you're going to go have dinner with an unbeliever, and they invite you to dinner, and you desire to eat, Eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. And then in 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, he, he settles it right there. He says, but food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Now in between those verses, uh, Paul does explain the need to avoid food that could stumble the conscience of another person. And we also know that food can be an idol to us and can even cause physical harm by excess. Philippians 3.19, whose end, describing, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So food can definitely be wrong. We have to, sometimes people have special diets for health concerns. But it's not a spiritual matter. And keep in mind that self-control, which is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You, you'll find out how well, uh, how how um, desirous you are and how practiced you are, if you will, in exercising spiritual disciplines when you and I decide to fast for a day. We will see, you and I will see it in ourselves, uh, how, what it takes, you know, the passions and desires just of, of putting aside food for a period of time and whatever else it is. But holiness, being set apart, or separated to God is just as much our concern today as it was for Daniel. And we often hear when you when you teach this when you teach this uh, book, um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard of like men's conferences where they say, you know, dare to be a Daniel or choose to take a stand, and those are wonderful preaching points. Um, but you know what they really mean is dare to take a stand for the Lord. Dare to set your life apart for Christ. So he purposed in his mind not to defile himself. 
Now we need to talk about something else uh, again, because I think it's important, especially given the times we're living in. And so if you're taking notes, I'd like to talk about dealing with the gray areas of life, dealing with uh, situations that are not overtly sinful, they're not called out directly in the Bible, but that you have to make a stand for. What am I talking about? Well, today we're talking about vaccines. Do I take it or do I not? Do I wear a mask? Do I attend church service or go into public places? And this, my friends, is where conviction and conscience and consideration come in. Conviction and conscience and consideration. We know we're to obey the law. We know we're not to sin. We know we're not to commit adultery, to kill, to steal, to bear false witness, nor covet what another person has. We know that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. To be honest, to avoid drunkenness and strife and jealousy, we know all those things. And the Bible is very clear. But we also need to acknowledge things that are not spelled out in black and white. What do you do? Where the Bible doesn't have specific rules, what do you do? Well, it starts with conviction. What is your conviction? Romans 14.5, Paul says, for instance, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. In other words, they have different opinions. They have different convictions. And Paul says, let each person be fully convinced in their own mind. When you are considering doing something that's questionable, or if you're not quite sure about it, you haven't prayed about it, it would be wrong for you to do it. Simple as that. You need to be convinced in your mind that you're going to do something that you're not sure. Like Daniel, we need a purpose in our heart. Be fully convinced or persuaded one way or another. And then move forward. It doesn't have to be difficult. Conviction. Another consideration for our... Well, consideration is one of the words. Another thing is, what about your conscience? You know, Charles Spurgeon said, the conscience for a Christian is the Holy Spirit's deputy. The conscience will be, uh, yeah, that's definitely worth writing down if you hadn't. That's because <laughs> as a Christian, you know, all believers have a conscience and they can sear that conscience. I mean, you fall into a life of sin, that can happen. But as a Christian, you know, you've got, you, you got nowhere to go. You can run, but you can't hide. You've got your conscience, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the Word of God, you've got your people in church, you've got your fellowship, you've got your wife and your... Husband and your everybody's there. Everybody's out to get you, like Rodney Dangerfield. Right? You don't get no respect. But anyway, <laughs> but your conscience, your conscience, when questionable conduct deals with something from God, what are we talking about? Again, Romans fourteen verses twenty-two and twenty-three. Paul says, "Do you have faith?" He says, "If you do, have it to yourself before God." He says, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Is what you're doing, is your conscience condemning you as you're doing it? Or do you have peace in your heart? You made a decision. Either not to get the vaccine or to get the vaccine. I know it's more complicated from the world standpoint. I'm talking about your relationship with God. 
But he who doubts, verse 23, is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. And that's where we get into the situation where I, I, I am totally against vaccine mandates. I'm going to tell you that. Because if a person is being forced to violate their conscience, that is absolutely wrong. And that's what a lot of Christians do when they ask for an exemption. And we need to pray for them. Our son, Chris, is, is right now going through that process with the Coast Guard. And we need to pray for him and others like him, maybe some in this room, who are looking for an exemption because they know that it's, a, it's against their conscience. Because they're, they're convinced in their conscience. They have conviction their conscience is saying. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, he would say it this way, anything that a Christian looks back upon and has to say, oh, I wonder if I should have done that. <laughs> that was wrong for him, okay? It was wrong for him. It may not be wrong for the next person. So don't criticize the person who didn't have the same conviction and conscience on that matter, that gray area that you'd had. But for you, brother, as J. Vernon McGay, for you, brother, it's wrong. And finally, we have conviction, we have conscience. God's word speaks to that. And what about consideration? Romans 15, 1 and 2. He says, when we then who are strong, in other words, mature in the faith, ought to bear the scruples of the weak. People who are not maybe walking, they don't understand fully their freedom in Christ. And this is not a spiritual person looking down on a less spiritual person. This is a person, a loving brother or sister, who maybe has come alongside you in your life. And maybe they know that there are things in your life that you're doing right now, and if they were to partake in something that's not wrong, it would stumble you. A beer, a glass of wine, whatever. And so you're considerate over that person because you don't want to please yourself. He says in verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. That's why uh, making disciples is so important, folks. It's so important that we're not just a Sunday church doing a Sunday thing all the time, and that's all. We need to be making disciples. Be, and I see it all the time. In a small church, it, it does happen organically. We don't have to set up a program. You know, just get in people's lives. Don't be a sin sniffer. Get in people's lives. Make friends. Go out to lunch. Have time, spend time with each other. Do life together. That's discipleship. One writer put it this way, Christian conduct is not how far you can go before you're wrong. It is what you can do to please your Savior. That's Christian conduct. And to be separated to him means to feel as Daniel felt when he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Okay, moving forward. Next, Daniel asks again. You know, if, if at first, you guys know, if at first you don't succeed, what? Yeah, that's what happened. Because remember, Aspenaz said, uh-uh, the king's going to kill me if you do this. I'm not going along with it. So Daniel said to the steward, well, we got another character here. He said to the steward who the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So the second in charge, you know, as Azaniah as, uh, was uh, the head guy, uh, Aspenaz, excuse me, was the head guy, and he has a steward more directly associated with Daniel. And uh, some people call him, give him a name, Melzar, but that's more of a title. 
So Daniel goes to the second in command. He's still got his request. He's not giving up that easy, right? <laughs> He's going to come back around. And he said, please test your servants for 10 days. He's still humble. He's still respectful. He's still under conviction and resolve to obey God. And he says, you know, let's do a test here. Let's do an experiment, if you will. Give us vegetables to eat and water to drink for 10 days and see what happens. Compare us to the ones who had the king's diet. You might want to wonder, what, you know, what kind of veggies? A broccoli sandwich, maybe? So, I, I like vegetables. Well, no, not really. I don't eat, I don't eat enough, do I? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Terrible. But what kind of vegetables were they eating in those days? The same as we eat now, 2 Samuel 17, 28. It says they, had, uh, they bought beds and basins and they had earthen vessels of wheat, barley, and flour. They had parched grain and beans and lentils and parched seeds. Parched seeds. That sounds good. But uh, in any event, sorry, sorry. Uh, anyway. And he says, then let our appearance be examined before you. And as you see fit, deal with your servants. You know, again, this second request. What was Daniel going to do after that if it didn't work out? And, you know, you think he was going to try to rebel or was he going to go ahead and obey what they had told him to do? I don't know the answer to that. But I know Daniel's character. And I know that he said, and as you see fit, deal with your servants. You see, Daniel now is laying it all on the Lord's lap. He said, God, you got this. If it costs me my head, then so be it. And so the, the steward consented. He went along with it. He said, okay, I can do this. He listened and he agreed. Why? Because God, God, had already given him favor with the authorities. Daniel wasn't an obnoxious, arrogant person. He had favor with those who were pagan, worshiping, idol-worshiping people. And he had favor with them. And that's, a, that's something to think about, folks. All of us. And know what happened in verse 15? At the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter, I don't get that one, and fatter in flesh. They were looking good, they were healthier, and they were better nourished. Amen? And so then all the young men who ate the portions of the kings, and he compared them, again, we see how God is able to bless them because of their obedience. Despite their spare diet of vegetables and water. Verse 16, thus the steward took away their portion of the delicacies and wine, and then he gave them vegetables. That was going to be their diet for the next three years. Likely for the rest of their lives, we don't know. I don't know. Daniel lived a long and healthy life, and it could be because of his diet. Let's be honest. I will say this uh, from Warren Wiersbe. He writes this. He goes, the fact that God used a vegetarian diet to make these young men succeed does not mean we will or should become vegetarians for spiritual reasons. The story encourages us to follow these young men's faith 
and not their diet. Just a side note. More thoughts. How do we as God's people resist the pressure to be squeezed into conformity by the world? One writer puts it this way. He says, according to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we're not going to, go, we're not going to put that up. Conformers, conformers are people whose lives are controlled by pressure from the outside, from without. Transformers are people whose lives are controlled by power from within. Daniel and his three friends were transformers. Instead of being changed, they did the changing. We talked a couple weeks about, you know, this abortion issue and the fact that, you know, looking back into the book of Acts and we saw how lives were changed and culture was being affected, that the church had the ability to shift the culture. And it still does today. Are you a transformer? Are you a transformer? Are you the one that's changing the world around you by your devotion to God? Am I? God used them to transform the minds of the most powerful rulers of the day and to bring great glory to God's name in a pagan land. A pagan land. God was glorified. More people are in church right now in China than there are in most of your North American, European countries. That's a pagan land, and they persecute the church. Some people would say, you know, for America, we've heard it said often, much is given, much will be required of us for our freedom. How are we transforming the culture? The first step in solving that problem is giving yourself totally to the Lord. Know that you're saved. This easy believism where I become a Christian, I say a prayer, somebody leads me through, and then I fall back into a life of not saved. I have no fruit of the Spirit. I'm living like an adulterer. I'm living like an idolater. I'm living sexually immoral. I'm living drinking and doing all these kind of things. I'm not saved, even though I claim to be a Christian. That's a disease in our culture. It, you can bet it's not like that in the persecuted church. Because when they step over the line to become a Christian, they put their life, they put their head on the chopping block. So the first step to solving the problem is giving yourself wholly over to the Lord. Be fully devoted to Him. The next step is to be gracious towards those in authority. Are you known as a Christian nationalist? Or are you known as somebody who has given themselves fully over to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question that I have. And notice what happens. The last four verses. God provides exceedingly and abundantly. Look what happens to Daniel in verse 17. It says, For as for these four young men... God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And to Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Again, God gave. They were put in this training program. And God gave this to them. They gave them knowledge and skill. Now, it's one thing to have knowledge, but you need the skill to apply it. 
It's one thing to be book smart, but you need God's wisdom and skill to be able to apply the things that you've learned in this life. Verse 18, Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought, now three years later, these guys had gone through this training, they had their diet, they got their request was approved, but then they went and did what the authorities told them to do. And the chief of the eunuchs brought them before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them, the, high, the, the big dog, okay, the, the major, the, he's the major dude, he has the power, he's the most powerful guy in the world. Very, he, apparently he was very hands-on, he was a very hands-on type of leader, he's a brilliant leader, we're going to read a lot more about him. And these young foreigners were going to go work very closely with him in the palace. So you can understand why he would have an interest. He brought these folks, these young men. You trained them. Now you're going to, they're going to be around me all the time. And I want to make sure they got their act together before they can serve for me. So in verse 19, it says the king interviewed them. And he said among them all, none was found like these four guys. These four men stood out. And therefore, they served before the king. They would serve in the royal court as humble servants. Standing before the king was one of the most powerful men to ever walk the face of the earth. That's what they were, that's what they were doing. And they will have many future tests and trials as we read through this book. And because they would stand firm and trust the Lord, he would see them through. Verse 20 says, In all matters of wisdom and understanding. And notice he said they're ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers. All of the worldly wisdom that was available to Nebuchadnezzar was worthless, really. was you know not even close to what these three young men who had purposed in their heart to serve God with all their heart took the knowledge and the information and they were able to better apply it than these older guys that had been working for the king for many, many years. And it says, continuing on, that thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Over 60 years, he would be in his position of, of authority. Yes, he would, we're going to see his trials. We're going to see all the things that he goes through. The fiery furnace, the lion's den, all of life's <laughs> serious issues. We're going to see him go through it. So we notice, again, folks, really, what, what an example Daniel is for us. Think of how often you and I are tempted to compromise our commitment to the Lord. How often has culture around us enticed us to fall into sin? How often have the luxuries of the world tempted us to disobey God? How often have we allowed our desire for position and power and fame to consume us? You know, I, I, I was on that treadmill. Some of you have been too. You go up the ladder in the organization and every step of the way, every achievement, if it's really just about you know, your own personal ambition, the first thing you say is, what's next? What's next? How often have you and I put achieving our personal ambition before serving God? Every day we face the temptation to compromise our commitment. 
1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul wrote, in light of all the, you know, therefore, in light of the situation at hand, in light of the world that you live in, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to take that with us today, knowing that the things that we do for you and we decide and we purpose in our hearts ahead of time, the things that we do are not in vain if we do it with a heart for the Lord, a heart to be obedient, a heart to be led by you. Father, I pray and ask that you go before us. Lord, I don't need to tell you what kind of world we're living in. But Lord, we seek you. May we be ones who are fully committed to you each and every day. We ask and pray all these things in God's precious name, in Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.